My oldest son, Josiah, turned 11 in February. And as his birthday was getting nearer and nearer, uh, we were trying to think, well, what should we do for this kid for his birthday? But the only thing that he kept asking for was a pet snake. The only thing. And we gave him other ideas. We tried. We were like, don't you want this? Or don't you want an arcade party? Or don't you want something else? That's all he could think of. And um, I was a soft no, and Chris was a hard no. Uh, but as Josiah's birthday got closer and closer, I sat down with Chris and I said, okay, look, we don't know what else to get this kid. He seems adamant. And, you know, if, if we, we know that uh, he will probably give up on this pet pretty quick, okay? We'll end up taking care of the pet. And so, in my cynicism, and so uh, at least this is the lowest maintenance pet he could possibly ask for, okay? They, they eat once a week, um, you know, I'll just, I'll be doing it, but at least I won't need to clean out the cage that often. It doesn't make a lot of noise. This is best case scenario. He could be asking for a puppy. And so, uh, so we finally decided, we're like, okay, let's, let's, get, let's get this kid a snake. And we did. And uh, so that's how Peter the Python joined our family in February. And I have to brag on Josiah because, again, I was so cynical about this pet. But he loves this snake. He is faithful. He wakes up every morning and checks on it. He makes sure it's fed. He makes sure that its terrarium is the right temperature. He locks it, praise God, every single time. It's always locked. Um, and so he, he did a, he's doing a great job. So I'm really, I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we ended up saying yes. But it's been making me laugh all week as I've been studying this text. And I told George this, that uh, I was assigned this text that says, what kind of parent would give their child a snake? <laughs> So this is, this is a difficult text for me for multiple reasons. Um, this is a very dangerous text. As I'm speaking to you this morning, there are countless preachers who are using this scripture and scriptures like it to tell their congregation, uh, God wants you to be rich. Ask him for everything. Ask him for a yacht and ask him for a plane and ask him for, for earthly riches. And it says right here, ask and you shall receive. Ask him for all of these material goods and you'll get it. And the congregations are sitting there looking up at their preacher and saying, uh, it must work because he's wearing $4,000 shoes, you know? So this is, this is a message, this is a dangerous text because it can be used in this way. This is a confusing text that we have today. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I wanted more than anything, I wanted a snow day because I didn't ever want to do classwork. And so I remember this, ask and you will receive. And I thought, one night I thought, let me pray really hard and with a pure heart, because that's important. I have to pray really hard and desperately for a snow day. And when tomorrow comes, then ask and you shall receive. It's right there. So the next day came, I opened my blinds and there was no snow. And I thought, um, I thought, well, this is God's word. It must have been uh, operator error. And sure enough, you know, I, there was a flaw in my logic. I forgot about the other scripture that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be among them. And so that evening, I called a friend and I told her the plan. I said, we need to pray together. If we pray as hard as we can together, then we'll get our snow day. 
So we prayed as hard as we could. I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning and opened the blinds and there was no snow. It didn't work. Um, it was also August, so that was probably part of it. <laughs> so this is gonna be a confusing text. This can be a heartbreaking text. Years later when I went, I think when I went to college at some point, I realized that sometimes I was praying for things like, Lord, please help me find my keys. And as I was praying that, I, I had a realization that somewhere some child is praying, Lord, please let me eat. I'm going hungry. And that child, that prayer would not be answered because there are plenty of people going to bed hungry. This can be a heartbreaking text. And so how, how do you understand this? How do we make sense of this when a scripture seems unclear or it seems illogical or it seems like it doesn't match up with our real world experience? Well, just like uh, how you see anything that's unclear or hard to see. I am nearsighted, for example, and I need lenses to see through, whether it be my contact lenses or my glasses. I look through the right lens and suddenly everything becomes clear. And that's how scripture works too. When we take an individual verse and we try to use it to fit our own agenda, then all sorts of things can go wrong. When you take this verse and you use it to, to beat your opponent with, when you take these seven verses and you wrap your entire theology around it, these seven verses will go to war, we will have church division, we will hurt our neighbor, we will do whatever we can to defend these particular interpretations, then you've gone exactly wrong. Because what is the lens that we need to look at scripture through? Jesus tells us, Someone asks, what's the most important command? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says the same thing. Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself. Against such things, there is no law. When we look at verses that are difficult to understand or seem unclear, we need to look at them through the correct lenses. And so if we use this most important command, love God and love your neighbor. When we use that as our lens, what do we see in today's verses? I think in part, Jesus is saying we talk about God too much. I'll show my work, don't worry. Jesus is saying we talk about God too much because we talk about God a lot and it's a, it's a great thing. But uh, I, I just started seminary last year and we love to talk about God. We love to come up with the doctrines and figure it all out and line it all out and put God into a box. And oftentimes we talk about God so much because we're trying to avoid an, an encounter with God. It's easier to talk about God and get the rules and the doctrines and, and straighten it all out in our minds. When Jesus is saying, ask, seek, knock, come to God, talk to God. God is begging us for relationship, not more doctrines. God wants our love, not more laws. So God is begging us throughout scripture, talk to me. I owe uh, Angelina, our communications director, an apology. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I came up with the sermon title for this sermon uh, and it's talk to me. 
And then I realized that uh, it wasn't on it wasn't on the bulletin and it wasn't in the places it usually is because um, I didn't communicate with our communications director and she probably thought that in place of sermon title, I was saying, I'll catch up with you later about what the sermon title is. <laughs> but the sermon title is Talk To Me. God longs for a direct relationship with us. And so how do we do that? How do we talk with God? Well, as we learned last week when we talked about the Lord's Prayer, that's the most common, easiest, simplest way to talk to God is through prayer. And that has to be so important. The Pharisees are a perfect example of people who talk about God so much that when they finally talk to God, it's all but useless. They had all the rules. They had it all straightened out. And Jesus tells this story about a Pharisee who basically uh, comes to church and starts praying and sees a scumbag over in the next pew and says, Lord, thank you that I am not like this scumbag. He had spent so much time talking about God that by the time he talked to God, his, even his prayers were self-serving. So we need to come to God. We need to come to God with, with our real selves, honestly, vulnerably, so that our prayers sound more like, God, I thank you for how good you are, and I thank you for forgiving me when I'm a scumbag. Bring honesty to God. And how do we hear back from God? Because communication's a two-way street, right? When I was a kid uh, growing up in, in my church community, everybody else my age would tell you that they heard from God uh, from nudgings by the Holy Spirit. And they, all, they practically all uh, audibly heard this voice in their heads from what God wanted them to do and God was, what God was telling them to do. And if that's how you hear from God, God bless you. I believe you. But I, I never heard that. I never heard a voice in my head telling me what to do. Uh, I never felt this gut instinct of God directing me. And so I kind of thought, well, it sounds like I'm the only one, so I guess I'm just kind of a broken Christian. Uh, I see heads shaking, so you're, I'm, not, I'm not the only one. That's good. Um, so, so how do we hear from God? That's one way. I think the Holy Spirit nudges us or talks to us. I think that's, that's totally valid. But I think that all of us can hear from God in this way. There's this thing called the Word of God. There's the Scriptures, the Bible. That it, that's what it's there for. It's there for God to talk to us and to show us God's heart. And so if we do that, then, for example, suddenly... Uh, suddenly this passage that's so heartbreaking becomes a little bit more clear. Because when I really started reading scripture, I looked and I found that there are people who go hungry. There are people who beg God for relief and that it is my job to do something about it. That I am called to be the answer to that prayer, to that hungry kid or that broken, lonely person. And uh, so that's how we do it. We talk to God more than we talk about God. I think that's what we need to do. And what's the other piece of that lens? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. How can we love our neighbor 
through this text. I heard a podcast the other day and it made me so mad. There was this fella who's a, a professor at a Christian college and he was saying, you know, some people, I'm sure some people have been hurt in church, but it, they're probably the outliers. It's probably much more uncommon. It's probably much more common that people have a great experience in church overall. And that made me angry because, uh, first of all, because I've been talking to a lot of people who I trust and love, who they, were, they thought they would come to church and it would be safe. They thought they would encounter a good God and they didn't that they were hurt. And so this fellow's words just totally dismissed their experience. And I don't think it's that uncommon. But on the other hand, even if it's true, even if people who are victimized are outliers, do we not serve a God who would leave the 99 sheep and go after the one lost sheep? And so I think we have to acknowledge something, um, an, an elephant in the room in this text, which is, just like last week in the Lord's Prayer, we heard our Father. And everything that's implied in there is a good Father, a loving Father. And likewise, in today's text, what kind of parent would give their kids a snake, uh, extenuating circumstance aside? Implied is, aren't parents wonderful and loving? And even if they're, even if they're not perfect, aren't parents just great examples of love. And we have to acknowledge that for so many people, when they hear father or mother, those are not safe words for them. When they hear the church or they hear God, they have been wounded. We have to acknowledge that. We can't just say, most people have had good parents and the rest are just outliers. We can't do that. We have to acknowledge the pain in the world. We have to look and see the people that maybe we want to look away from because we don't want to look at pain. We have to acknowledge it. Because what Jesus is doing here is this is, this is a rhetorical question. What kind of parent would give their kids a snake, right? But he goes on to say, people are, people are evil, people are broken, okay? But how much more will God give good things? There's another rhetorical question like this in Isaiah 49. And it says, similarly, it says, could a mother forget a baby at her breast and have no compassion for the child she has born? That answer to you might be, no, mother is the safest person in the whole world. But that answer for you might be, yeah, she might. She might fail me. And so that text goes on and it answers its own rhetorical question. It says, even though she may forget, I will not forget you. God says, look, I've written you on the palms of my hands. This is one thing uh, about giving birth, about having biological kids, that it changes your body forever. You know, I've got scars and and stretch marks and you know some folks like their feet grow and they never go back down to the normal size uh, sometimes your hair and your nails are never the same as they were that from this act of relationship your physical body is forever changed 
And it's one of the most beautiful things about the gospel for me that out of Jesus's act of love, that his body is forever changed. You know that? The holes in his hands, the hole in his side are eternally a testament to his love. That death is undone in him, but his body even is changed for us. So church, here is the importance of our task. That we may be the first good father or good mother or good church that somebody ever encounters. If we're looking for analogies about the goodness of God, you may be the only analogy someone has ever seen in their life. That is such an important task. And that's why, that's why someone would ask or seek or knock only if they understand the goodness of God. Right? Only if they see God as perfectly safe and perfectly good and perfectly wise. I don't know why God says no to our prayers sometimes. Sometimes they're perfectly good prayers. Sometimes they're desperate prayers. I don't know why God says no sometimes. But I do know, as George brought up last week, I know that once Jesus prayed desperately in the garden and his sweat came down like drops of blood and he prayed for something, he prayed for this cup to pass from him, for this ordeal to pass from him. And the answer to that prayer was no. I don't know why God says no sometimes, but I do know that Jesus once again does not stand distant from any one of our pains or any one of our questions. And I also know that even if I don't know every reason, the times where it has become clear to me just shows the goodness of God once again. We ask for a life of ease, and instead God makes us strong. Sometimes we ask for revenge, and instead God changes our hearts. Sometimes we ask for comfort, and instead God gives us an opportunity to love our neighbors. Let's talk to God more, church. Let's not talk about him too much. It's good to talk about God, but let's talk to God. Because this is a God who is always there, always calling us, who always leaves the 99 and goes after the one. This is a God who is always good. Amen.